Hello and welcome to another festive episode of Say by the 90s. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today we've got the holly jolly Ken Bakley. Hey, Ken. Hello. This month we're back again with another made-for-TV Christmas. With that being said, I think we can just dive straight into our first title. As usual, we're going to go in chronological order here. Although, like, some of these... The two in particular feel like they're pretty much just the same movie, so... Yes. <laughs> actually, I'm kind of glad that there's a movie in between them that, so that we can actually, like, kind of separate the two a little bit more. Mm-hmm. The first one we're going to be talking about is called A Holiday to Remember. This is directed by Judd Taylor, and it came out uh, on December 12th, 1995. I don't have the channel here that uh, that this aired on but it seems like uh, this is probably before I think this might be before the Hallmark channel anyway I have a synopsis here Carolyn leaves the big city with her daughter Jordy for her childhood village she meets her former fiance and finds a lost boy who she wants to adopt but Jordy is not too keen on the idea this uh this stars Connie Selica and uh Randy Travis as Clay Trainer. Clay Trainer. Clay Trainer sounds like someone misremembering Randy Travis's name. <laughs> it's so funny because so I, I was traveling this past week and and I watched a number of these in a, in my hotel and my wife was just like, "Didn't you just watch this movie? You just watched this movie because this was actually the second one I watched uh, with." The, the next one that we're going to talk about, but I actually watched that one first. Not the next one, sorry. The third one. Yeah. The one that's like indistinguishable from this one, pretty much. Uh, this also yeah. this also features Rue McClanahan. Yes, it does. As, as M- Ms. Leona. Mm-hmm. So, Ken, what was your, uh, what was your take on holiday, uh, a holiday to remember with Randy so- Travis? <laughs> every December, we talk about these movies. And it feels like every year, we talk about how these are the most, you know, bizarre ones yet. And we have some candidates for that this year, certainly. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think we can't sleep on this one because I think from moment to moment, this is the m- movie that maybe just casually has the least the lowest level of common understanding of how humans interact. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I 100% agree with you. This movie is ridiculous. I'm probably going to say that multiple times, maybe four times this month. I'm going to say that that this movie is ridiculous, but this one just for reasons that the person who wrote this movie seems to not understand how people work, like how, how humans person, work. I don't think they've met another person or talked to one. It, the, the decisions, the conversations, everything is so bizarre. And, and it's, it's almost like dialogue is an afterthought with this movie. They, it's like that they just, they wanted to crap out the most base, like bargain basement holiday movie just to get it on TV. They just needed something to fill the airwaves. And so they came up with like the most basic, boring premise. And then just, I I mean, it feels like this, like 
you know, th- this AI generated stuff is way more like logical and makes more sense than some of the stuff I, that's said I, in this movie. I am not joking. I was about to make that exact same comparison. It's it's <laughs> so funny. I, I, I like everyone else. Uh, I have been playing a lot with that uh, AI chat mm-hmm. uh, thing that, that that's been going around uh, for the past week or so. And I mean, yeah, it's 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 an astonishing technology. And one of the ways that in, my, in our unique perspective here is that it's an AI and it creates better dialogue when you enter in a prompt for dialogue than anything in some of these movies. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it's it's wild. Like that AI know understands people and how people interact and relationships better than the uh oh, oh th- better yet this is based on a novel too by kathleen <laughs> by kathleen creton called can you imagine reading 300 pages of these characters oh my god i mean maybe the movie's different but i uh, doubt it probably i i mean <laughs> i i have to imagine somewhat <laughs> i mean i would hope so i i just can't imagine you know, at the molecular level of a novel, talking about the interior thoughts and experiences of characters, you would have to assume a least a nominally better understanding of human interaction than what we're getting here. Randy Travis is basically a, a cardboard box in this movie. He has no discernible personality. His acting is on a whole other level of bad. I mean, Stilted doesn't even begin to describe this dude's acting abilities. But it's also like I guess I guess that that's just like in the 90s when this um like kind of when when country music, these like country music stars like Billy Ray Cyrus and and Randy Travis and the somebody else we're going to talk about in a little bit, like I I feel like um that like modern country was very popular in the night and Garth Brooks too. Um, and I guess that like, this was their, their, their niche right here. It was like the holiday movies, you know, like appealing to like American families, like classic traditional American families, pure, pure white American families. Yeah. It's uh, there's definitely a not, very cloaked, like very conservative undertone to how these sorts of stories about, you know, the rural hometowns and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many Christmas movies like this where you have someone who's in the big city and then they go the template (laughs) and then they go to their, their hometown or just a small town, some, some place that's like, it's like out of time. Like they're still in the fifties in this town like they're still traditional. They move a little bit slower in this town. There's like ten jokes about how the name of the town in this movie sounds like Mayberry. Yeah, which e- e- like the character who is from this town even yes mispronounces it at one point, which is just it's too much. So yeah, this this is a very bog standard Christmas movie that has all of the, the typical uh, tropes in it. And none of it is particularly compelling in any way. It's, it's funny in a bad 
sort of way. Um, none of the characters are memorable except maybe Rue McClanahan, who's basically uh, like a more conservative kind of straight-laced version of her Golden Girls character. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it, it's kind of the, the, the point. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 there are definitely differences in, in, in the portraying these characters, but like the personalities are basically one to one. Yeah. And it's, you know, but you, you have this, this woman uh, played by Connie Selica, who by the way is, is John Tesh's wife. So she's married to John Tesh, another classic nineties character. Uh, so she moves out of the big city with her daughter, get a fresh start. She's she leaves leaves her husband, or well, I guess he left her technically, and she she's getting a divorce, which is another '90s theme, I think. And there's a lot of TV movies and kids movies that involve divorce. Um, so you, you have that, and then of course, like the daughter finds out that she was once engaged to this guy played by Randy Travis and she left him at the altar and like immediately the daughter brings it up, which is like so inappropriate. Like this daughter, she's old enough to know like a little bit of like to have a little bit of decorum when it comes to stuff like that. But now nah, she just brings it up blatantly. And then like they find a kid living in their house and they just take in this kid and he's like a little thief and he steals a bunch of stuff. So then there's this whole like side plot involving this runaway kid and how like she's trying to keep the kid, but the social worker's like, no, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> That's not how it works, lady. Mm-hmm. But the social worker's like the bad, the bad guy in this. Because it just so happens that she's also, like, dating Clay. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, there's some some really dumb little comedic, quote-unquote comedic moments. It's, it's pretty light, like, theme-wise or, or like, content-wise. There's nothing, nothing too heavy here. Um, the, you find out that the, that the kid's mom died... But that's pretty much as far as it goes. In, in by the way, an amazing uh, scene w- that involved Randy Travis searching for things on, like, a DOS-based program on his computer. You know, this is where a movie like this can actually succeed within its capacity. Uh a very forgettable movie that is not meant to be watched closely has incredible value as a made-for-TV Christmas movie. I think so. I, it's just, it's company. It's just there for company while one does other things. And I, So, you know, maybe there's a degree to which some of these movies are uh, being held to a level of scrutiny here on the basic level of a movie that that, that they weren't designed for. But as we move through the show... We'll find movies that maybe did were designed to command more attention, and eventually we'll get to one which, even if it wasn't, basically commands it anyway. Was this the one that had the the rollerblading Santas at the beginning, or was that the other one? Yes, it is. Yeah, I, th- I thought that yes, this was is. the rollerblading Santa one. 
Uh, you gotta you gotta include rollerblades. I, I think that rollerblades are mentioned in multiple movies that we covered this this month. There are also multiple movies this month that begin with uh, the opening credits rolling over a mo- one of those you know Christmassy model train sets. Yep. Yep. All right. Anything else you want to add to a holiday to remember? You know, it's fascinating in terms of its complete ignorance of how humans interact. Uh, but ultimately, it's pretty forgettable. And yet, at the same time, there will be a lot more to say about this than the movie that it's functionally indistinguishable from that we'll get to in a bit. (laughs) All Uh, of this, I want to stress for our listeners, to a degree, everything we're about to talk about is in preparation for a point in the show that you will understand what it is when we get there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's going to... Think things are going to go off the rails. As they always should, at least once when we do these episodes. So that's a holiday to remember. Not a movie that I'll remember, that's for sure. <laughs> Moving on to our next title, we're talking about Mrs. Santa Claus. This is directed by Terry Hughes. Uh, came out in 1996. Let's see if I have an exact date here. December 8th, 1996. I have a synopsis here. Neglected by her husband... During the pre-Christmas rush, Mrs. Claus, played by Dame Angela Lansbury, takes the reindeer and sleigh out for a drive only to end up stranded in the multicultural neighborhood of Manhattan's Lower East Side of the early 1900s. Now, this is this is the one that you suggested that we do. Mm-hmm. I was hesitant. I was resistant. One could uh, this even is say. The, not the first time that I try to suggest this. <laughs> yeah, I finally caved and was like, all right, whatever. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just, I could not get into this one at all. I love Angela Lansbury, by the way. I think she's mm-hmm. she's great. Rest in peace. She is a mm-hmm. wonderful, wonderful actor. And anything that she's in, like, it, 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 at least it has Angela Lansbury in it. It's like one of those mm-hmm. types of things. But the movie itself, so this is a musical. It feels very much like a stage play rather than a like an actual movie. Like all the sets and stuff felt very, you know, stagey to me. And I couldn't stand any of the songs. I thought the songs in this movie were atrocious. Like they were just singing, they were just singing stuff that didn't even rhyme, didn't make sense. It was just like random stuff. They're just singing, singing and dancing. And I, all the songs were just so bad to me. <laughs> I couldn't. I mean, some of the choreography was decent, but the the songs themselves, I thought, were pretty atrocious. Thankfully, there's like actually not that many songs. No, there's in this, not. Like for being what I would consider a musical, there's not really that many songs. And the premise here, I mean, it's kind of a a good premise, I think. I think that it has a good message. And I also think that it's in, it, it says some interesting things, especially, I didn't know this, but it takes place during 
the women's suffrage movement and Mrs. Claus becomes a suffragette, which I think was yes. kind of fun. Mrs. Claus is a great progressive reformer. She's a suffragette. She's a labor organizer yeah, for, she's... Chi- for child laborers in a toy factory. And I'm going to say that I kind of like this movie, which will probably surprise very few of our listeners. Uh, and I also enjoyed it because I know in terms of movies set at uh, turn of the century New York about uh you know uh the, the child labor reform and labor organizing and it being a musical this is the closest i will ever get to being able to talk about newsies on this podcast oh god yeah <laughs> <laughs> i will say though uh that I-, I can guarantee you that avenue a in new york city in the early 1900s was definitely not this uh as chipper and clean and happy as as it was portrayed in this movie I can almost anywhere's ever been as chipper and clean and happy as avenue a is depicted in this movie that, yeah that that is true I, I used to live very close to avenue a and uh even when i was living there i was a little bit it was a little bit rough around the edges <laughs> i love that area though alphabet city it's it's a great area that so, somehow has still not been fully gentrified so props props to the to alphabet city but getting back to the movie yeah so it does deal with some pretty interesting concepts like the whole almost like unionization Mm -hmm. of these children laborers i thought was kind of an interesting concept too so what you have here is like she ends up stranded in in new york in this in the this area and while her stuff is getting fixed i guess what like letting what, what what's the situation like sh- the the reindeer need rest or something like i don't i can't remember what the situation was that kept uh, her there it's i i think it's cuz of the reindeer <laughs> it's something with the reindeer this was the first one i watched for this they she um ba- basically she just kind of wanders around and it's almost like she's kind of a Mary Poppins type character where like everybody she interacts with, she kind of uh, helps them and, and changes them for the, for the better. And she kind of transforms this whole neighborhood and helps everybody out and blah, blah, blah. And uh, meanwhile, Charles Durning plays Santa Claus and he doesn't even realize that she's gone for like two days, which is kind of funny. Yeah. that, that That's kind of the, the and the central conflict yeah so like she's you know she's not appreciated she she does so much work in the north pole and does all this stuff to help everybody and and he he's not appreciating her and all this this stuff and and eventually she becomes mrs santa claus and Santa Claus makes her this like really great gown thing, and uh, then she helps him deliver packages, and it's a it's a just a really heartwarming Christmas tale. Mm-hmm. And Michael, so Jeter, I liked it. And Michael Jeter's in it, and he plays an elf. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think it was horrible or anything. I just didn't like the. I could just could have done without the music. Like I just did not like any of the songs and that was that was sort of the big hang up that i had with it like overall the the music is mostly 
indifferent. The film is mostly indifferent to the need of its own music. Yeah, it's like it doesn't it doesn't do enough for it to feel like a full on musical, but there's still like I don't know half a dozen songs or something in there that are just meh. I, I mean, what's you know fascinating here is uh, that this is. The, the the music here is by Jerry Herman, the, the acclaimed composer. You know, Hello Dolly and Mame and La Caja Fall, and this is this is not remembered as top tier Jerry Herman for a reason. Well, he's probably pretty old at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, it was towards the end of his career, but he, you know, he, he was he was still active for for some time later. He only died a few years ago. This did win an Emmy. For outstanding hairstyling. So there's the, that. The, oh, presumably the only, maybe the first. <laughs> I can't remember all the ones we've done. Would this be the first Emmy winning movie we've talked about during our made for TV Christmas episodes? Oh, I'm sure. I but then again, there are so many Emmy categories. I could imagine one of the other ones getting nominated in some random yeah. Emmy category since there's you know, there's you know Maybe there the was Emmy a categories. There, there might have been a Christmas category back back then. That, that I nominate ones. all of them. Yeah. yeah, I kind of, I kind of figured you, that you'd be into this one, and I, and I was pretty sure that I was not going to be into it. Yes, listeners to the podcast are presumably entirely unsurprised by our reactions to this. Yeah, but again, I, I didn't despise it or anything like that i thought that it was it was competent i just mm-hmm. really it's just the, the music that i had a hard time like i just I, the, the, it, there needed to be more care towards uh putting the music into the story or there needed to be no music at all because yeah i do agree it, it doesn't really work a lot of it feels like it's for kids too like this is definitely something that that to me feels like it's geared towards kids especially the way Angela Lansbury like projects herself like she's always talking to everyone like they're children and and well, a lot of them are children yes that's yeah that's true but the thing is like as I don't know any kids who well that's a kind of a generalization but I think a lot of kids don't like musicals I think that a lot of kids are just not into movies that have a lot of music numbers in them maybe i'm wrong about that maybe maybe it's just how i grew up (laughs) i i i don't know i i don't know if i i don't know if musicals are more polarizing or less polarizing with children than adults either way uh i thought that that charles durning was good as santa in this and uh yeah yeah, that's he's not really he's in it in a few scenes yeah he's not in it a whole lot but i think he does a good job in the the scenes that he's in he feels like a little he, he feels like the kind of santa that's a little bit rougher around the edges and i like that yeah i i like that we've also been doing this so long we can kind of create hierarchies of, of santa personalities <laughs> yep yeah yep anything else you want to add about mrs santa claus i think there should be more mrs claus content in general there, well, there was that one sequel to the Santa Claus where he had to get married, and that so that that was something. 
Oh, another observation. I did like the business where she, where uh, Angela Lansbury co- comes to New York and she goes and someone asks her name and she uh, she can't say that she's you know Mrs. Claus. So she uh, mentions that she's from the North, not the North Pole, and then people call her Mrs. North. Yeah. Yeah, it was a cute movie, I guess. Yeah. All right. Our next feature is A Holiday for Love. This is directed by Jerry London. Uh, came out in 1996. Looks like it aired on December 10th, 1996. I have a synopsis here. A man sent to a small town to assess which of the workers in the local factory that supplies the town with jobs should get the boot when the downsizing begins. All right. Uh, He gets sidetracked when he falls in love with a local, a cute single mom. (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, that wins for synopsis so far. This is the most forgettable movie of the four by an extraordinary margin, down to the fact that its title is completely indistinguishable with the uh, A Holiday to Remember. A holiday for love. A holiday to yeah. remember. And it's like the same, I, the poster's pretty much the same, too. Yeah, you know, it, and it's all, they're all in the same vein of what most made-for-TV Christmas movies, especially now, are about anyway. This is a guy who lives in the big city. I can't remember. It might have been Chicago or something in this one. And he has to go to his hometown and uh, lay decide who he wants to lay off. And as it turns out that like everybody in this town either works at this plant or is has family members who work in this the plant and that's that's actually you know there are a lot yeah of, that, that's there are a lot not of, the most yeah there's a lot of towns that that operate yeah. like that i mean and it, it turns out like he he gets his car breaks down and then he he ends up going to this woman's house played by Melissa Gilbert. Well, actually, no, first, let me, let me back that up a little bit. First of all, he, I guess, breaks down near his family home and he, and he like breaks in and Melissa Gilbert, who is like lives next door, sees him in there. And rather than like call the cops or just let it go, like most people probably would, she gets a she grabs a shotgun and goes and like citizens arrests him and brings him into her house and you know where where her young daughter is and like holds him at gunpoint until she can call her boyfriend who's played by the one and only Travis Tritt. Yes. And that's how it all that that's how the uh the relationship starts he's just like super charming uh did i mention it was tim matheson i can't remember if i mentioned that but michelle trachtenberg plays the daughter her name's noelle by the way Hmm. and she is completely insufferable in this movie uh, she's a total brat and they try to play it off as being like silly or funny or cute that she's like, I don't know, like 13 or whatever, or 12. And she like talks to 
her mom and other adults as like like she's the grown up and they're the the, the kid it's it's a, it's it's when we talk about 90s 2 a recurring theme on the show this is w- one of the worst uh interpretations of how that could be exhibited yeah like there's this one scene where it's at the very beginning and she's talking to her mom about her mom's relationship with Travis Tritt. And she's like, I just want to, I, I just want you to know what you're getting into mom. And then like the next scene, they show this girl who she's like conducting a chorus group at like the, 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 the elderly home that's nearby. This is the scene that stuck with me through the entire movie. This is the one I've not been able to forget. And she's basically perpetrating elder abuse during, <laughs> d- during this scene. <laughs> The way that she speaks to these people, it's like they're human beings, child. These are human beings who lived a lifetime longer than you, and you're treating them like complete garbage. These are people who have lived a very long life and have perhaps never been treated as badly as they are by this child (laughs) right now. (laughs) I mean, she's just so awful to them. So then we we go back to this... uh, this idea that that she that the mom like basically kidnaps this guy and yes and she frisks him too which is like it's it's all just so weird that this is happening there's one really the, the editing is all over the place in this in this movie too there's one really funny scene where for like no reason it cuts to uh Tim Matheson just nodding his head for like 3 seconds and it's so bizarrely cut into the movie and it happens like multiple times also when when they first meet him like he he takes a shower and stuff and like there's like an immediate attraction there i guess and she goes the the michelle trachtenberg noel she goes you're a total fox and it was just like ew this is that's this is so inappropriate. What like what's mm. going on in this in this movie? It's also, uh, I I agree with you about every single individual scene here, but I can't add anything because if we go past individual scenes, then we'd have to talk about the story here, and I there is really none. <laughs> no, I mean you could you could easily piece it together. You know, Tim Tim Matheson friggin' falls in love with her she she works at the plant her dad's like the foreman or the manager or something she's like a forklift driver there and um he figures out a way to keep the plant open and and make sure that nobody loses their job but but see here's the thing he they send him there to decide to go undercover they want him to go undercover as a a prospective client who's going to, who wants to buy some tractors and like, this is the town he grew up in and it's like a super, super small town. So the idea that he would like be able to go there and have nobody recognize him, I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. And then, but then of course, like when his secret gets uncovered, cause like the dad knows like right away that he's one of the higher ups at the company. And his secret gets out. And first of all, everybody in this town, when they when they think that he's like a client, like they're treating him like a god. I mean, they are just 
He's getting free meals. People are wanting to shake his hand. They, they're loving this guy. And then, like, they treat him like crap after they find out that he's, like, actually might be laying them off, which seems a little counterintuitive. Like, yes. you'd think that they would treat him even better in order to keep their jobs, but, you know, whatever. I think that was meant as, I don't know, a form of dramatic contrast, but they didn't really set it up. Yeah. When they start to, like, kind of court each other, the one of the funny lines that, that Tim Matheson, Matheson says is, he goes, you seem like the type of lady that would be mar- remarried, maybe. And he didn't know. So he knew at this point that the, that the uh, Melissa Gilbert's husband had passed away. He didn't know how long. Yeah. It was so presumptuous of him to be like, you seem like the type of lady that would be remarried. Maybe it's extremely inappropriate thing to say. And then Travis Tritt. Oh, Travis, Travis, Travis. (laughs) What are you doing in this movie? Travis, he plays the sheriff who is, they don't, deliberately try to make him out to be a buffoon but he he definitely seems like a buffoon there's uh there's one scene when he proposes to uh to melissa gilbert's character emma and he he gets down on one knee and he goes i think it's time you made a commitment to me (laughs) that's how he proposed uh and you it, know, I, I, I'm convinced with this summary. This, I thought that maybe whatever the other one was called was the movie that had the least understanding of human interactions, but this one really meets it. This one, yeah, this one has some really ridiculous interactions and and scenes and things. Like, there's this one, like, this big, like, monologue moment where Tim Matheson is, like, telling everybody why... They shouldn't lay anybody off. He goes, if we downsize now, these people will lose their jobs. And it's like, well, yeah, that's (laughs) exactly. Yeah. You're saying if you lay them off, they're going to lose their jobs. Yes. That is exactly what's going to happen. And by the way, like this is all over the course of like two days. Like it's only several days. And there's like one scene when when like the the secret comes out and and everybody knows who what's going on and the the um, uh, Melissa Gilbert just goes Jake that's not you like she's she knows this guy for like his whole life it's this one is is it's insane it's it's an it's annoying Noel is like the most annoying character ever I think it's less boring than than the other one, a holiday to remember. I maybe kind of come down on the opposite side of that, but they're really in a lot of ways, they're indistinguishable. I mean, these movies, like they follow a lot of the same beats. They both contain a lot of the same tropes. You both have your, uh, your country, your contemporary country music artists in here. This one, I believe has, maybe an original song in it. And it's like really bad. It's like horrendous. 
Sometimes I, you I, have to lose your way to find your heart. I also want to point out the last scene of this movie, which is completely just the chef's kiss of completely bizarre human interactions at the uh, at, at at the dinner at the end. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> I I don't I don't know what to say. I mean, how it ends, how it how it does end, uh, with him being reunited with his father is. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, everybody knew. Well, see, that's the, that's the other thing. There's this like ongoing thing where like he lost touch with his dad. He, he, he said that he left the town when he was a boy and he lost touch with his father and he hasn't like spoken to him in years and years and years and whatever. And like they see each other or, or maybe just the, 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 maybe just his dad sees him or something, but he's at the old folks home and like they seem to to see each other and he and they, but they don't like it doesn't click for them until the the end of the movie but the funny thing is like they set it up cuz we spend an inordinate amount of time with this this guy this happy guy mm-hmm. so it's obvious who it is it's obvious that it's his dad so it seems weird that that just at the very end they're like, "Oh, hey, Dad, <laughs> let's rekindle <laughs> our relationship." Because it 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 really when you have it drop like that at the very end, it just there's no reason for it at that point. Like it doesn't add anything at all, and all of the time we spent with Happy and him like stealing the angels from around town and like being a goofball it uh, all of that was for naught because it, they didn't do anything with it the other interesting yeah, thing it, was that like it, with with a lot of these movies you have a a pretty defined character arc but the interesting thing about this one was that tim matheson never wanted to do it in the first place like he was always kind of a decent person yeah which is kind of odd because usually Tim Matheson plays kind of D-bag characters. I think that's kind of what, now that you say that, that really does seem like the, one of the primary factors that keeps this movie from ever feeling like there's anything happening in it is that there really is no impetus on him to change because he's basically the same person at the end than he is at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, he, he protests the whole thing from moment one and throughout the whole movie he's like trying to figure out a way to prevent any layoffs from happening which actually leads me to my conclusion that on a certain level this is the close to the 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 ideal of one of these movies because there are no stakes there's very little conflict and you can just have it on in the background while you're doing something else which is really i think what these movies should be going for and her relationship with Travis Tritt seemed a little nebulous at best. Like th- there wasn't any kind of like, yeah, he proposes to her and they kiss, I think once early on in the movie, but there's never any kind of like clear distinction of like what the status of their relationship is. So it yeah, doesn't, there's nothing, there's nothing lost. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like when, when Tim Matheson comes in and kind of swoops swoops her off her feet it didn't feel like it was like a that big of a betrayal 
with uh, with Travis Tritt, and then like he rebounds pretty quickly. There's this really funny scene earlier earlier on in the movie when they're like walking down the street, and there's just this woman, random woman, and she's like basically doing like the uh, like the Looney Tunes wolf like auga like that type of thing at Travis Tritt, uh, and of and then later on you find out why and it's because like she the, the two of them got together that they and they showed him at the holiday party yeah but it's, it's 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 pretty ridiculous it's a movie where everything turns out to be fine yeah it starts off pretty okay and it ends off pretty okay also and michelle if- and michelle trachtenberg is the most annoying character ever in this if anything, that's it's. I mean, besides the 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 presence of a comically annoying, badly written child character, and a bunch of characters who you know just don't make any sense at all. I mean, it, 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 what more can you ask for in a made-for-TV Christmas movie that if at, that at most is designed to hold fifty percent of your attention? Yeah, I mean, this is. This is like a by the numbers Christmas movie. I mean, this this is it has all, everything you you could want really from like one of these Hallmark style movies. Moving on to our last title, though, this one <laughs> this one has some stuff that you might not expect in a Christmas movie or a typical one. Uh, we're talking about Dear Santa from 1998. This is directed by Fred Olin Ray. Uh, do we have an error date on this? It, uh, I no. That was the question. That, that okay. So I have a bunch of questions about this movie. Um, oh, I, as soon as you finish introducing it, I don't have an error date. I have a synopsis. A greedy workaholic father with little time for his family discovers the meaning of Christmas when he is whisked off to the North Pole. You should put, you should put that in quotes. North Pole by an enterprising elf named Lilith. Uh, all right, go ahead. You, you start us off. Uh, what channel did this air on? I don't know. I don't know anything about this. Like as far as <laughs> what, when is, it aired, where. Is there any paper trail to the existence of this movie whatsoever? Because it feels like I dreamed it. It says that, what does it say here? It says it came out on DVD in Japan in 2007. <laughs> That's what IMDb says. <laughs> Which, if I had to guess, is nine years, I think, after the movie's given release date and probably about 12 years after it was filmed. It's, it just seems like one of those movies. Yeah. Yeah. So this one is a... It's shot in... It feels like it's shot in, in L.A. It's, it's definitely one of these kind of super low-budget, like... LA movies. I think, I think it's set in LA. I think they explicitly yeah. say that it is. Yeah. It's set in Santa Monica, I believe. Maybe not. Maybe another one was set in Santa Monica. Either way, it is in LA. I know that. Um, this feels like, like one of these types of movies where the director like made this one Christmas movie, but like all of his other movies were like soft core porn movies. Like that's what it, that, that's what this movie feels like. 
But but actually, if you look at Fred Olin Ray's filmography, it's, I I don't know. I, but he's directed. He's he's a very prolific director. So I couldn't really scroll back very far. Also because the new IMDb update is a mess. Yeah, uh, but I so I could only see the last few years, and they're mostly made for TV Christmas movies, like on the Ion Network. <laughs> <laughs> but he did do Busty Housewives of Beverly Hills, Dirty Blondes from Beyond. The teeny weeny B- bikini squad. So I definitely was not. I was not all. In fact, I'm. I was right. I. I think that I was right. Yes. Sexual witchcraft, bikini time machine. I. I. I, I knew it. I knew. Yeah. It. That you. You. You exactly <laughs> figured out who the who, what what this filmography. It is. just when you see this, you just feel like there's a lot of these these directors that that are you know just they're just hustling and and. They always do some porn and then they do some Christmas movies and that's just how it goes. Mm-hmm. And they'll do, they'll probably throw in some uh, some really you know poorly made horror movies in there too. But mm-hmm. uh, so this movie is an utter mess from beginning to end in maybe the best ways possible. Oh, so certainly it is. I can't I can't even begin to describe what a what a, what a ride this this movie is really what it boils down to is it's kind of a cross between a christmas carol and the santa claus so that's that's sort of where we're at here that's kind of like the I, the baseline i i think before we get into it we should also point out if if anything to to emphasize what we're about to talk about here i did say the name of the director is fred olin ray i will point out that in this movie he is credited under a pseudonym <laughs> It says directed by Peter Stewart. Oh, there we go. Okay. That happens a lot with these movies too. Yes. So we start off and like the, uh, the synopsis says here, it's a greedy workaholic father, little time for his family. Movie starts off with him, I guess, surprising his kid with tickets to, to big bear for, for the holidays. He's going to spend, spend Christmas in big bear. He's going to have his first white Christmas. Very exciting. But then he gets to work. He works as a used car salesman, of course, in probably one of the crummiest looking lots I've ever seen in my (laughs) life. And his boss comes up to him and says, Hey, look, I'm going to have a contest between you and the other salesman. Whoever can sell more cars, by by Christmas, will become CEO of the company, <laughs> and so of course he's like, "All right, well, I guess I got to work through Christmas, and we can't go to Big Bear or whatever." I, I, first of all, I love how it's immediately coded that the uh, that his boss is involved in organized crime. <laughs> yeah. Secondly, CEO of what? Exactly, of of your crappy car lot. I mean, like, why would you ever even want such a thing? And like, immediately you have incredible uh, dialogue and acting that is like on whole new levels of or of horrendous. Like the, the- dad is just he, like he's so <laughs> awful, like. Oh, I'm not, I'm not even going to name anybody who's in this movie because I just don't want to. I don't want to shame them. I don't want to embarrass them. It's just uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to either because it feels like this is. The, it feels like the, that all of these performances have the general energy of 
people having to return a favor for somebody and so they do this movie yeah <laughs> like they're just taking a couple weekends just to do this so but the amount of dialogue delivered directly to camera is fascinating oh, the, the, yeah and it, and it's like it's probably all unintentional i would say like all of any any of those scenes were probably unintentional like they're they're just they don't know how to not look at the camera anyway so he after he finds this out he goes home and his 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 wife and his son they're already in their like snow gear like they the, like the son already has a snowboard like full on like ski suit everything the the wife has like a a jacket and all of this stuff so he comes in and, and I mean, this is like, I don't know. Did, did they like order this stuff previously? I don't know how any of that works. He walks in and they go, I rented everything. And my thought is like, what you rented the clothes? Like I, I, how, what do you mean you rented everything? <laughs> and then he's like, uh, you know, I we can't, we can't do it or whatever. And his wife gets super mad at him. She's like, well, what about when you went to the demolition derby and you went to the football game and, and, and all this stuff? And, and it makes us at, at that point, we realize, like, this is the worst person. This is the worst husband and father ever, because we also know that he's selling stolen cars and he decided that the way that he's going to um, sell more cars is by holding a contest where if if someone can guess the keys what keys are in his pocket and if they can guess the right car that goes with the keys they get to keep the car but of course the keys don't go to any of the cars on the lot mm-hmm. which is i'm pretty sure that's illegal too so yeah. you can't you can't yeah. do that so he comes home tells him that uh yeah we're not doing the Christmas thing, and then he leaves and goes right back to work. It's like, why did you even go home? Why don't you just call? You just you have to go get back to that lot, and then that's when he meets. I think, if I remember correctly, that's when he meets uh, Lilith. So the son, after he gets the news, writes a letter to Santa. The son looks too old to believe in Santa. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's like a whole conversation at the beginning, yeah. <laughs> where the dad's like, "Why do you still believe in Santa?" and the kid is just like a, a, I just I believe in him. He's like he's like fifteen. <laughs> the kid's like fifteen years old. Yeah, you think <laughs> it's going to be a point point of discussion, but no, it's it's just immediately. It's like there's, there's the one thing, and then it's immediately. <laughs> that, but because I think the reason it stands out is because the character in general is written as someone much younger than the actor they cast. Yeah, yeah, but like I it mean, was clearly like that. It's clearly such a workaround that uh, just to to get around the fact that. They couldn't that that they didn't cast a younger child. Yeah, it was probably going to be too hard to work around that. But anyway, they so he writes his letter to Santa and is like, "I want my what did he say? Like, I want my dad to believe in Santa Claus." I think that's what he wrote. And so this elf, Lilith, and by the way, like the elves in this movie are all just like kind of young, younger women. Uh, and she shows up at the car lot and like tells the guy, you know, you gotta, you gotta believe or whatever. And 
also you find out that they have she has lightning powers like the elves can shoot lightning out of their hands and like shock people and electrocute people which is kind of interesting I guess and then the dude like starts turning into Santa like like the Santa Claus like she shocks him and then like he starts turning into Santa Claus like he like he the first day like he wakes up you know and he has like a little little stubble and then like later on he wakes up and he's got the full hair long long gray hair and beard which by the way is like probably the worst <laughs> fake beard and wig that I've ever seen in my life it, it's very it's very discount costume store yeah. and and the, his stomach like he gets he gets fatter too but the stomach is like it's like um. You know, like when you're a kid and you put a pillow under your shirt and pretend to be, <laughs> pretend to be big, like yeah. that's what this looked like. It was all lumpy and like they just, like I said, they just put him in whatever came with the costume yeah. out of the package. It was clearly not like a real fat suit or anything like that. It was, I think, it was just like a throw pillow that they had laying around and they just shoved it in his in his uh, Santa costume. It was, it was laughable laughable and then um so like his his he doesn't seem to learn anything at this point even though he's like basically turned into santa he decides to use it to his advantage to to help promote this like fake contest and he's i I guess the kid at this point is afraid that like the mom's gonna leave him leave this leave this guy because he's like such, such a deadbeat so he and his friend, they decide to, to they want to make some money and like buy her flowers to, I guess, uh, pr- like pretend that it's from the dad. And the way that they decide to make money is like the, <laughs> it's the most like ridiculous convoluted thing. They decide to use a broken electric blanket to shock people and people pay them to do this and they make enough money to buy a dozen roses for the mom. That's their idea on how to make money. Uh, yeah. Baffling. So then he, she gets the flowers. She's happy. And then like, I don't know if the TV was already on, if she turned on the TV, if the TV turned on by itself, but it went straight to this commercial that the guy that the dad pro- he produced, edited, and broadcasted this commercial all in the same day. It, the implication of the editing of this movie makes it look like it was broadcast live. Yeah, because the very next scene, and by the way, so the mom gets really mad because in the commercial, there's like these women who are like all over him and stuff, and it's just really inappropriate. And like they have like Mary Xmas on their like uh, on their butts, and it was just like not an appropriate commercial at all. But then they cut to him wrapping the the very next scene is him him like wrapping this shoot. So, were we, are we meant to believe that this commercial was broadcast live? <laughs> Has that ever been done before? I, I feel maybe it. I'm sure it happened during like the early days of television. <laughs> 
Like during the cold game variety hour when they would just do commercials live. Yeah, that's... Uh, this is uh, this is also very shortly after this is when he... I believe he's he's having a conversation with his son because his son sees the commercial, goes to the lot, and is like, dude, you know, mom's going to leave you. And he goes... He tries to tell his son that he, you know, he's doing this for them. He's trying to get a promotion, whatever. And he goes, I need to continue on my course. It's the manly thing to do. And you're just like, what? It's the manly thing to do. Oh, God. It's a um, The The mom then leaves him. And as she's like packing up, he's like, well, you're going to go stay with your folks. You don't even like your father. And she goes, my father's dead, Gordon. So he didn't even he know. He did not know that her father was dead. He either didn't know or forgot. He just gets worse and worse and worse. After yes. this, he, he comes up with the idea because they're like selling cars and stuff, but they need more space to run out of space. These stolen cars keep coming in and he just can't get rid of them fast enough. So they, he decides that they should use the children's rec center as a place to sell the stolen cars. And somehow the owner of the used car lot has like the authority to evict everyone from the rec center. So, so if you remember back in the first movie, whose name I can't remember, there's like a whole running kind of very Andy Griffith show Mayberry style joke about how Randy Travis has uh, every job in the town and he's the mayor and he's mm-hmm. runs all the businesses and whatnot. I presume that the, that the uh, car lot owner in this movie is just like the extremely corrupt m- mayor and police chief and <laughs> head of the zoning board or something. It's just, that's bizarre. Except it's Los Angeles. It's a giant city, so I don't know what we're implying there. <laughs> yeah. And they were literally just going to kick all the kids out of the rec center right then and there. And then and then he has his like whole um, It's a Wonderful Life slash uh, you know, Christmas Carol moment where he he's the, 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 the elf shows him sort of the air of his ways. And I think that that's when he goes to the North pole. Oh, wait, please. Let's talk about the North pole. So, so he ends up going to the North pole, which I gotta say, uh, they were, <laughs> they were phoning it in when they were doing the North pole set here. The, the amount, the, the number of shots in really close, tight angles in this North pole set. And, and the thing is, <laughs> He wakes up and and, and an owl, a talking owl, tells him he's at the North Pole. (laughs) And maybe I'm wrong. Like, I don't know. I'm not uh, I'm not very good with geography, but I don't think that there are like deer, like regular old deer and like lush green forests in the North Pole, because that's where he wakes up. There are plausibly owls, but I but. A lot of the other things, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> so he starts wandering around this this 
beautiful green forest that definitely does not look anything close to how you would imagine North Pole looking. And he finds this like, it looks like, I mean, it's supposed to be like Santa's village, I guess, or something, but I think that they must have gone to like some sort of abandoned theme park or something. Cause that's what it looked like. These houses were horrendous looking horrific even. And that's when he finds out like he's a secret Santa and he's got to deliver some presents, I guess. And I, 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 I want to first say that if there's anything I like about this movie, it's something that I've mentioned several times before on the show, which is I like any movie that gets into the bureaucracy of the North pole. (laughs) And this one does. Yeah, I mean, there's it, an entire yeah, there's an entire uh, office division just screening the letters. It's um, yeah, it's totally a, a Santa Claus ripoff. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, what. Oh, that, yes, that, absolutely. That whole that whole scene was just a complete ripoff of the Santa Claus. I I also want to suggest the possibility there. There's a shot of the elves in the room that they're handing the letters to each other as they go down kind of their the, the, through the room to be sorted. I am certain that there is a shot in there that's repeated, I think three times. Yeah. I, it's hard to tell if it's, if it's the same shot repeated or if they were just instructing those extras to like, just do the same movements over and over again. But uh, it, either way, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's either a bad editing decision or a bizarre directorial choice from Fred Olin Ray Peter Stewart <laughs> and some of the other many names that he is credited under on the IMDb. So after he experiences the North Pole, I guess, and, and meets Santa Claus, he's, he's just like, oh, I've changed. And then the elf is like, I'm impressed. But it's like, well, what what are you impressed about? That he just said that he's changed? He's done nothing to back it up. Mm -hmm. All he did was say it. And then, you know, and then, of course, he he goes back and, like, the... He gets a magic Santa suit, which, surprise, surprise, looks the exact same as the other one. It, like we're supposed to there's like this big reveal where he comes out and he's supposed to be like his real Santa suit but it looks the exact same like wh- what what kind of reveal is this I should also mention that all of the elves they have giant plastic pointy ears that don't even begin to match the skin tone of the people wearing them like they didn't even try they, they were just like eh, whatever it's an elf. Get it? Yeah. Pointy ears. There we go. So he gets on the sleigh. And, uh, of course, you know, they didn't have any money for this movie. They had about $15 in the budget. <laughs> so he gets in this, like, sleigh that looks like it's made out of styrofoam. And they can't do reindeer. So what do they do? They just give it a goofy sound effect and then just have it disappear and that's like how that works they they make some joke about how they don't have reindeer anymore because they didn't want to deal with the reindeer union anymore uh so 
Anyway, what once again another point for uh, Mrs. Santa Claus is strong pro labor uh, point of view. Yeah, exactly. Compared to this, so you know he he goes back to uses a sleigh, goes back, talks to his kid, he apologizes, blah blah blah, and then he's and then he's like, he's like, uh, you you want to you want to hop on? I gotta I gotta deliver these presents to Tokyo and the son's like yeah let's let's do it but then they don't go to Tokyo they get revenge on the car thieves and also like why wouldn't they go to why wouldn't he go to Tokyo first because Tokyo is like a day ahead of where they're where they're at in California they completely missed their window in Tokyo yeah it's alright you can't be going to Tokyo now it's like practically the next day you missed it. You missed it, buddy. And also, like after they they uh, like catch the bad guys, the car thieves, he calls nine one one and he goes, "Hello, nine one one. This is Santa Claus. I'd like to report a crime against the Christmas spirit." Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, God Almighty! It's uh, it's so bad. Like it is so horrifically bad that it's hilarious. It really is hilarious it's like it just gets worse and worse and worse as it goes i i want to uh point out that the uh screenwriting credit on this movie is written by one hamilton underwood which has about a point zero 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 one percent chance of not being a pseudonym <laughs> possibly for fred olin ray <laughs> could be um Looks like he it, has uh, uh, he has one other one uh, other credit. It's called it's from 1997. It's called My Ghost Dog, or My Magic Dog, <laughs> because yes, or My Magic Dog because the uh, one poster that we have here gives it a different title. Which, by the way, one of the great things about these all of these Christmas movies, but especially this one, uh, is that for the holiday for love or holiday for your heart or the other ones they all have different titles this one had a different title literally everywhere i looked uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> i want you to, i want to read the log line of my ghost dog he's cute he's furry and he's completely invisible except to toby his eight-year-old best friend his name is lucky the magic dog when toby's evil aunt violet tries to steal toby's inheritance lucky tries to wreck her nasty scheme Oh, well, we'll we'll have to add that to our list then. It's on freebie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and to be nice. So I now, now Hamilton Underwood is definitely a pseudonym, but it's not a pseudonym for Fred Olin Ray because Fred Olin Ray didn't direct my magic ghost dog. I love this other poster, or I guess it's like a maybe a it's a DVD cover yes. for for my ghost dog where it in. Comic Sans has the tagline "A Bark from Beyond." <laughs> this is incredible, just incredible. Uh, I believe the actual title is just in Times New Roman. Yes. yes, yes, and then it has what I think is the Australian rating logo. It's rated G. Uh, okay, well, that's good. the whole family can enjoy my ghost, my ghost dog, or my magic dog. What do you think is behind when they just years later change the one word of the title in a movie like that? 
I guess maybe they were concerned about the dog. If, if it's my ghost dog, the dog's it implies the dog died. It's a yes. dead dog. And they probably thought like, you know what? Let's make it my magic dog. I I want to continue briefly on there's only one movie listed here on you might also like. And it's for a movie called Ghost Dog a Detective Tale. Plot line from 2003 plot line Kyle's a police officer and his partner in the is his dog Hunter. Hunter gets killed in the line of duty, so the dog is, does become a ghost, and the spirit comes back in the body of a criminal named Howie. Howie, with the spirit of Hunter in him, helps Kyle in solving a dastardly plot. Also, they have a DVD cover. What do you think the chances on the DVD cover that it's still called Ghost Dog? Oh, zero. Dog Gone is the title on the DVD. <laughs> this movie is directed by Worth Keeter. Worth Keeter. Worth wow. Keeter directed, looks like he directed some, a lot of TV. Uh, Power Rangers. We're going, yeah. we're going down a crazy rabbit hole. Now. <laughs> yeah. I, I once do... you, here's the thing that we discover whenever we talk about TV movies. Once you start going down, you have to get out because you will never. Yeah. You, you, you just get caught in this wormhole of awful. Fascinating. Yeah, anyway, I, I said, as I said earlier in the show. Whenever we do one of these uh, Christmas movie episodes, we need at least one that just completely breaks the podcast, and we got one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this one by a mile, too. Like, this one, Dear Santa, like, I mean, it's not even close to the others. <laughs> the others are your typical, like, kind of Hallmark-style movies, and then Mrs. Santa Claus is more of, like, an NBC, uh, yeah. you know, special-type thing. This one is like on a whole other level. I don't. I need I, to know what channel it I, aired on. There's just. I don't think it. I have the impression that this did not. It might have been like straight to video or something. I want to believe there's a channel that it aired on, and it was one of those late, you know, fly by night. I don't know, '90s cable stations that no one ever noticed and ceased to exist. But it did give us this fascinating movie because, like. I mean, even like, um, even like Lifetime and stuff like this is, this is below that. Like this is below all of, all of those Hallmark, yeah, they would, Lifetime. Yeah, 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 yeah. Any basic cable network would look at this and go, I, th- this movie doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> and just like the, the, the quality. I mean, yeah, it is far below a Lifetime movie. Well, not far below, but it's below a Lifetime original that's for sure I, I do want to quickly mention that um if you listened to I, i'm not sure when this is coming out but just very recently when we were going over uh blu-ray releases on the weekly podcast i'd mentioned piranha women and coincidentally that is directed by fred Ol- olin ray so i fred? inadvertently mentioned a, a fred olin ray movie a new one that uh on the regular uh, weekly podcast. Well, Fred Olin Ray has about 200 titles to his name on IMDb. I am not exaggerating. So yeah, so odds, I, odds I, are th- good. I think that... the, the odds are pretty good that if you're just mentioning any random kind of uh, TV movie or, or or direct to to video movie uh, uh, of a certain ilk, then you're going to have to come across a movie by Fred Olin Ray uh, or one of his like weirdly high even for a director of uh, who makes a bunch of direct-to-video and tv movies pseudonyms 
<laughs> oh my goodness. I think he's just Fred Olin Ray now. I think that was just a thing that happened through the 90s. Uh, yeah, now he's just, you know, he's in the most, he's in 20, he's still working in 2022, and he's in the most, a very lucrative market, which is just making generic made-for-TV Christmas movies now. Yeah, his... he's not, he's not swinging for the fences anymore with... Nah, it doesn't look like it, doesn't look like it, I mean... It, which is kind of a shame. Looks like his, uh, more, he he recently did a Royal Christmas on Ice... Yeah, he's with, basically uh, just doing a holiday with a t- holiday for your heart now. Yeah. Is that a title of one of the ones we talked about this month? A holiday No, uh <laughs> a holiday for love. <laughs> I'm sure that is the title of something. Uh I'm sure. I'm sure it is. Uh yeah, now he's just um yeah. No, Holiday for Your Heart was the one with Leanne Rimes. Oh, yeah, that's last right. Year. The, the <laughs> weird, the strange Leanne Leah. Rimes biopic that was also a Christmas movie. <laughs> Bernadette Peters as a ghost. That, was, that, one, that one was definitely off the rails. That was, that was the Dear Santa of last year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Now, now Fred Olin Ray is just directing regular tv christmas movies which is kind of a shame because come on it's a shame that in all of the tv movies that come out every christmas zero of them are anything like this (laughs) that is that is true so so it looks like got something to it (laughs) so this one also goes by the name secret santa Mm -hmm. my santa my dad that's the name on tubi Oh, my Santa, my dad is the other one. So yeah, I guess it's it's one of those where it's got a lot of different names. So I would recommend out of out of the four, this is the one that I would say, yeah, you should you should give this one a look because it is uh it's so it's definitely in that so bad it's good category. I typically don't like even the bad, like kind of mo- movies that are set in LA, they're that are like this, like the no budget, um, you know, like a like a full moon pictures type movie. Like I, I don't usually like those, but this one was just so gloriously off the rails. That, yeah, I, uh, you can't be mad at it because it just feels like a you know. For most of the people, it's a hobby. <laughs> what am I going to do? I, I, I mean, I'll... What? <laughs> I'm not mad at this movie at all. <laughs> nope. I think you should see it. I think it's genuinely interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's definitely something. So, uh, there you have it. I think, um, I think that's, that's going to wrap things up for this month. Another... Really great made for TV Christmas. I, I man, I look forward to these so much every oh, yeah. year. I love doing them. I, you know, and there's still, there's still a, a whole lot. Like, we, we can do, we can do this for a long time because there, <laughs> there is a never ending supply of 90s Christmas movies. It's, uh, every time I think, surely we're just going to get stuck with talking about, you know, four generic a holiday for love kind of movies a year, but no. Yeah. There's always, there's always one. a surprise. Yep. 
because that's why Christmas is such a magical time of the year. Exactly. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can send us your 90s memories to 90s at filmpulse.net or by sending us a DM on Facebook or Twitter at 90s pod. Also, if you have a moment, consider reviewing us on iTunes. That'd be great. Until next month, for Ken Bakley, my name is Adam Patterson. This has been Saved by the 90s. Bye, everyone. Bye.